Welcome to Inside New Mexico. I'm Derek Underhill, and with me is our former congressman of the 2nd Congressional District, now chairman of our Republican Party of New Mexico, Steve Pierce. How are you, sir? Doing great, and this is the Christmas week. We want to say just Merry Christmas, Happy New Year to every single family out there. This is a special time for us. It's a time of faith. It's a time that we express our love and appreciation for salvation, for our Savior. And so this is what Christmas is about to our family and I just wish everyone uh, just the merriest of Christmases. Yes, same for me as well. And you know, we talk a lot about the impeachment. We were hearing all about that last week, and the Senate will take it up if Nancy Pelosi ever sends it to them. But I was wondering, what are the consequences? If the president were actually removed from office, let's say uh, the Democrats had the House and the Senate, and they decide to remove the president, President Trump, from office, so let's talk about what happens if he's gone? Okay, well, let's back up just a second. And we discuss about the terminology, and it's very key here because the House did vote last week to impeach the president. In other words, this was the impeachment here. Impeachment is like a grand jury sitting and they find reason to move ahead with charges. The Senate actually conducts the trial. So now then, this says the vote in the House says that the impeachment has occurred. It is now going to trial. So the grand jury has done its work and there's saying that they have absolutely blah, blah, blah. They found these and that. And the facts can be disputed either way. But the fact that the vote in the House has occurred cannot be disputed. So now it's up to the Senate to listen to whichever facts they want to. And the process is not described in the Constitution. It is a very much a a process of the rules of the Senate. And so we've got two other impeachments in our history that have actually gone over to the Senate. And this would be the third then. And let's let's say that uh, in your speculation that the House and the Senate were both Democrats and that the Democrats Democrats in the Senate would actually vote to convict and remove President Trump from office. I think that's what you're asking. What yes. what would be the effect in the country? Well, first of all, the president has succeeded in these great trade deals because they know that he is a man of his word, number one, that if he says something is going to be better, that he will make sure that it's better for both sides. If he says he's going to level sanctions, that he will level sanctions, that if he's going to put tariffs on. Very few presidents have had that intestinal fortitude. So the first thing that would do is all the trade negotiations that the president has made will be reduced back into uncertainty. And people would be saying, wait, we can get a better deal. This new president is not nearly as good a negotiator, not going to be willing to stand their ground. They're going to recognize the fragile nature of our political system at this point. And so they're going to insist on more. I think we would lose all the ground with China, all of the ground with the European Union. I think that a new president might not even back the British in their Brexit vote. So now then the British prime minister would be on very, very tenuous ground with the possibility that the European Union would find favor. You remember that Barack Obama actually warned Britain, do not vote to get out of the European Union. And so you would have these circumstances of a weakened U.S. president. The Senate, if it were in Democrat hands, could be insisting that whoever's in charge would not honor Brexit, would not work a a trade deal with Britain. This would kind of blunt this optimism that is growing in Britain that they're going to come out much better shape than they were previously. So that's just the international 
international situation and the fight on terrorism. It would embolden the people who are in the terrorist organizations. Trump has made a believer out of them. His rules of engagement have been very much more assertive than uh, under President Obama and even under President Bush. Again, the rules of engagement tell our soldiers when they can and cannot fire on the enemy. And we give our troops ammunition to fight back with now. Yeah, yeah. We've got the ammunition. Our military is built back to strong strength, but their ability and, and willingness to use that depends on the commander-in-chief. President Obama had very restrictive rules of engagement, so it was not enough to be fired on. You had to be fired on and be certain they were trying to kill you, not just trying to get close to you. That's a very high standard for our troops to return fire. It's one of the great reasons that there was just such disenchantment in the military prior to President Trump coming in and being much more affirmative, saying, yes, if you're threatened, you can fight back. So the rules of engagement would affect our international defense posture and, frankly, the strength of the nation. On the southern border, we would see an agency that would return to kind of looking the other way. The wall building would stop because that has taken tremendous political courage on the part of the president. The president says he's going to pass tax cut 2.0. That means that your average taxpayer is going to get a couple hundred dollars more back in their paycheck because we're going to lower taxes again if he has his way. That effort would stall completely. And in the House and the Senate, Democrats have both said that they're going to return to the taxes before Trump. That is that they would reinstitute the taxes that were there before. That would cost every wage earner in New Mexico about two to three hundred dollars uh, in taxes every month. So about three thousand a year. That means that you got less money for clothes and food. As all of this occurs, then the economy is going to blunt down and all of these economic gains, these low unemployment numbers, this return of manufacturing to the country, all of that would stall out as these trade negotiations break down. And so this great economy that we have going would stall out for New Mexico. As the economy slows, then you're going to have less oil demanded, less energy demanded, because growing economies need more energy. And if you're sliding into a recession, you don't need as much energy. And so you would find that New Mexico's sales of oils probably would decrease. These tremendous surpluses that we've been having would be dissipated. But probably the biggest thing that you would see is that the power of the state would increase dramatically. And your everyday American who wants the swamp drain, they want Washington to be less powerful. Our founding fathers warned of too strong Washington. They warned of bureaucrats who had too much power. And we've seen that play out with these bureaucrats who just said, this is a coup. We're going to take out a sitting president. We're going to overturn the will of the people. And so those unelected bureaucrats would have more power and your average everyday citizen would have less power and there would be no one else willing to take it on because this president has paid dearly for his willingness to try to drain the swamp. He's paid dearly for his willingness to fight the bureaucracies in Washington. And so I don't think we'd ever see another president willing to take that fight on. It's been a ferocious fight. The president has been on the correct ground. And these are things that we would see happen if the Senate were in Democrat hands and were to convict. Now, I think that the Senate is going to go through a very judicious process. I think they're going to call not as many witnesses as I would want, but frankly, they said they don't feel like they want to call members of the House of Representatives. I would like to see Adam Schiff have to answer a few questions under oath, but they say, no, the decorum between the House and the Senate will not be compromised. They're also not going to call Hunter Biden and Joe Biden in. So I think that that's judicious. I think they want to consider the facts. I think they want to have a fair consideration of the facts that did not occur in the House. 
And so I think that we'll see that vote come out of the Senate very early in January so that we can get about the business of fixing the country, fixing our defense, approving these treaties with trade for our partners around the world. In the past, they've been so, so unfair to the American worker. And President Trump is renegotiating and I see we're going to probably approve those and they're going to move forward and they will become law of the land. I think that America is in great shape and on the way to be even greater. I think that uh, 2020 is going to be a bang up year for this country. You are listening to Inside New Mexico with chairman of our Republican Party, Steve Pierce. Coming up, a special guest. Stay tuned. Attention, New Mexico veterans. If you were honorably discharged from the U.S. Armed Forces, you've earned state and federal benefits, and the New Mexico Department of Veteran Services is standing by to assist you. State benefits include a veteran's property tax exemption, education and training, and transportation services. We can also assist with claims for federal VA benefits. The state of New Mexico and this radio station thank you for your service. More information at nmveterans.org or 1-866-433-8387. Welcome back to Inside New Mexico with Chairman of our Republican Party, Steve Pierce. And Steve, I understand we have a guest. Well, we had Stu Engel on last week. Then the week before, we had Jim Townsend. And so uh, one of my friends, longtime friends, Rebecca Dow, represents Truth or Consequences, Sierra County, Grant County. And Representative, thanks for being on the program with us today. Tell us exactly where you do represent and kind of what your district is like. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on with you guys today. And I represent District 38. And that includes most of Sierra County. Most people are familiar with TRC and Elephant Butte. Most of Grant County, which is home to Silver City and the Gila, and a little bit of Hidalgo County, all the way to the Arizona border. We're on the program today to discuss an issue that is key to your heart. Tell us a little bit about the circumstance in CYFD and what you've seen. The issues around children using family services, particularly their child protective services, is I mean, there's just so many issues. I don't even think we could cover them in this segment. But I think what is pertinent in the front of people's minds right now is this death of this four-year-old boy, James, that had been in CYFD custody going back and forth between his grandparents and relative care and his biological mother. The facts in the circumstances around James' death are still coming out. Um, people are looking into that and trying to gather the facts, but what I'm sharing is what, I, what I've been told and what I understand to be. CYFD has such a focus on reunification right now, and I feel like in this case, so many things need to be changed and that we can learn from this case. For our listeners, reunification means to the biological mother or father. Is that correct? Correct. So the federal trend and thus the New Mexico trend that we are following the lines because there's federal dollars tied to it is always reunite the child. Even when there's substance abuse that can cause risk to the child, even when there's abuse and neglect, but that we always try to reunite. So we have something in New Mexico that's sort of unique to us called safety monitors. So the biological parent can get the child back while CYFD is deciding what to do with a care plan. CYFD can reunite the parent with the child or not even remove the child while they are putting together a safety plan or services they have this thing called a safety monitor. The biological parent picks the safety monitor, and I hear stories over and over again that the safety monitor is in worse shape than the parent sometimes. So you're telling me that CYFD is putting kids in harm's way by returning them either to the safety monitor or to the biological parents who may be on drugs, may uh, have issues that we don't even know about, 
And even with all of the people reporting them, you're not telling me that they still put them back in that circumstance, are you? That's exactly what I'm telling you. And the parent picks the safety monitor. In the case of James, James had been placed with his grandparents who were safe relative care multiple times. And the family members were wanting James and were seeking calling CYFD and saying, where is he? What's going on? Like, they knew there was a problem, but the parent didn't choose to put James with the grandparents. They picked a friend who was a safety monitor. CYFD allowed it, and the safety monitor is any person the biological parent picks, and the safety monitor was in charge of the mother at the time of James' death. And how did James die? I don't know the circumstances of his death. But he was in the care of people chosen by the state, and suddenly he's chosen not alive. by the biological parent who has but approved, but approved by the state. The state yes, says correct. this is the way it's, it's done. And so the, the grandparents, are they objecting during this? Because it sounds like they were trying to do the right thing. They were trying to do the right thing. They care about James. They wanted custody of him. But the mother didn't pick them as the safety monitor. It happens all the time. The biological parent doesn't tell the safe, caring, invested relative they pick a safety monitor that's their friend or their coworker or, you know, whatever. I mean, I just, I hear stories from nurses that are working in the neonatal unit where babies are born addicted. And these safety monitors assigned by CYFD are coming to pick up these babies. They're in worse shape than the parents. They're two and a half hours for a discharge. The nurse walks the safety monitor to the car to make sure they put the car seat in properly and finds two young children that have been left in attendance for two and a half hours in the car by the safety monitor. And people report it and nothing's done. CYFD refuses to hear these contrary reports. It's as if they want to turn a blind eye because then they'd have to deal with it. Now, the thing that's so frustrating is we hear this really high turnover rate at CYFD. These people are going in and working in child protective services, not for the money. These frontline workers, I call them first responders, they are distraught over what they're experiencing. They're brokenhearted over the children. They have to return to homes they don't believe are safe. And there we see these high turnover rates. We see them leaving child protective services. They do it because they care. They go and sign up. But the laws, the children's code, the reunification, the policies and procedures reunite the children with the parents who are causing harm. Otherwise, they lose federal funding. No, a lot of it's tied to federal funding. And so we're going so far as to call foster parents foster caregivers or to call the foster home. We're not going to call it a home. We're calling it a foster placement or temporary care facility because we're trying to have the child, the family, the workers, the foster families, everyone in the mode that this child's going home. This child is going back to the home. And of course, that would be the ideal circumstances, but that's a safe home where parents are getting the services, the support services they need. Now, we've talked on this program a lot about Victoria Martins and the abuses there. Is she someone that CYFD had on the radar that uh, people had complained about and they left her there with her mother? Absolutely. And the little gal, I don't know her name, the one whose school found evidence of sexual abuse in her panties. The charges were dropped a couple weeks ago because the mom didn't want her to testify. That same abuser is now getting charges brought of sex trafficking against him. I just it was just on the news yesterday. And, and so we not- did not pursue it there. And, and now then we let them out the and they did the same thing again. And we wonder why the crime is so high in New Mexico. And it looks like the system is the reason that the crime is high in New Mexico. When we ignore problems, they don't go away. CYFD was bragging that they did not remove one single child from a home in the month of October. Did abuse end? In the month of October, there was no abuse or neglect in the state of New Mexico? 
Well, let's say that you've got a foster family and uh, the reunification, the state wants to take that step to put them back with a parent. And does a judge hear that? Who, who, who makes that decision? Foster then? parents cannot intervene on behalf of a child, whether they've had them one month or 10 years. Let's say that you have a, a child who doesn't speak. I hear that as a descriptor a lot, that the child goes nonverbal. They put them with the foster family for a week or two. They start laughing and talking, and everything seems to be returning to normal. Surely the system has a way to ask the foster parent, what is it that's changing the behavior? You would think that that would be the case. And there may be guardian at litems or maybe a CASA, a court-appointed court advocate that may choose to do that, but there's nothing in statute or policy that would suggest that foster parents should be viewed as the child's expert, no matter how long they've had them. And so it seems like the system is guaranteed to fail in cases where it could succeed. These are things that break your heart because these are not just temporary. We ruin lives in this way. And you're telling me that last week we had another death in CYFD. And again, the system doesn't seem to even really care. And even whenever these children are living, the more and more trauma, the more and more homes they are transferred to, the more and more experiences they have, we see diagnosis and multiple diagnoses where they end up in this cycle of despair and the sense of hopelessness that they can't recover. We could talk the rest of the program. We've got to move on today. I really appreciate your heart for the kids. I appreciate your willingness to talk about the circumstance in this recent death in CYFD. Uh, we're going to continue to publicize that as a Republican Party of New Mexico. We think we are the voice for those who have little to no voice, the unborn. But I just want to say, as the party chair, thank you for your heart for families that are just trying to solve problems in individual lives one at a time. That's when we're going to fix society. So God bless you. Thanks. Keep up the great work. Thank you. I hope you'll stay tuned for our next segment. In just a moment, we'll be talking about space, among other things, on Inside New Mexico. National Guard and Reserve members are true leaders, both in the military and in the workplace. They are highly skilled and get the job done every day. Employer support of the Guard and Reserve, ESGR, can help you recruit top-notch service members to your workforce. Hiring Guard and Reserve members is good for your business and good for your community. Visit esgr.mil slash employers to learn more. Welcome back to Inside New Mexico. I'm Derek Underhill and I'm talking with our chairman of the Republican Party, Steve Pierce. And Steve... Talk to me about space investing here in New Mexico. We talked about a space force being formed. Do you think there's any possibility of some of that coming to New Mexico? Well, right now, the space force looks like it will not be here. I haven't seen New Mexico mentioned at all, which kind of indicates that both senators are kind of sitting on their hands. Our governor is, is evidently not making a very good pitch, or she's not making a pitch at all. So that space agency, which has the potential to be here, we have as much space research in this state as anything. We've got the spaceport. We've got that Virgin Galactic launch coming up next year. We invested our money 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, and we built that spaceport for two or $300 million. It's been sitting pretty idle. And just now, the rest of the country is beginning to look at it seriously, and we seem to be inactive. Now, Morgan Stanley recently hosted a packed New York City Investor Summit where they're talking about companies and individuals investing in this space industry. And it looks like Virgin Galactic, Viasat, Intellisat, Maxar Technologies, Planet Labs 
Hawkeye 360, Parsons, Jacobs, and more were there. They were pitching their products and they had to turn investors away. There were almost three times as many people attending this summit as attended last year. And keep in mind, it is showing you how you can put your money to make money in the stock or whatever it is. You get a piece of this growth industry and New Mexico seems very, very much lackadaisical about that right now. And it's a shame because we had a 15, 20 year lead on anybody else. And now then with this focus by our financial system saying that now is the time to put your money in, that we just aren't seeming to respond very well. So you had an analyst, Morgan Stanley analyst, Adam Jonas. He told CNBC that we just ran out of room. We couldn't put any more investors in. Jonas is the guy who's known on Wall Street for his early predictions on Tesla being a revolutionary force in the auto industry and in the use of renewable technologies. And so when he speaks about these technology things, people really, really listen. So that's kind of one look at it in a related report on CNBC that uh, Morgan Stanley went even further and said buy Virgin Galactic shares because they think it's going to triple and that it's actually going to disrupt the airline system worldwide that Virgin Galactic is set to launch from the spaceport in the coming year, maybe very early in the coming year. And so Morgan Stanley says that their stock is going to soar as it proves out this long-term plan of flying people around the world at hypersonic speeds. And they forecast that $800 billion in annual sales for hypersonic travel by 2040 is not out of reason. That's almost a trillion dollars. And that's the reason that you're getting such interest in the space industry, but specifically in the piece of the space industry that is located right here in New Mexico. And again, it seems like our governor and our congressional delegation in Washington is very silent. People wonder, how come New Mexico never gets in on the big job movements? It's happening right now. We've been in position for so long that we seem to have kind of gone to sleep at the wheel. And we're going to miss this great opportunity that we should be leading the world in, should be leading in this nation. All right. Now, back to a problem we've had in New Mexico now for a while and doesn't seem to be getting any better. Our rural hospitals are failing. Why? Well, one of the rural hospitals told me after the Affordable Care Act passed, they had me in and, and showed me an entire wall covered in small print, and that was the entire regulatory process that they, a small community hospital, had to go through. And they just said, we don't have the manpower, we can't raise our rates enough. You know, these big hospital systems, you get 15 or 20 major hospitals scattered across the country, they can hire one person that does nothing except implement all these regulations. They can sort their way through this morale of complicated regulations and small rural hospitals can't. 106 hospitals in rural areas have closed since 2010. 60 million Americans live in rural communities. That means that people are losing access to care every day. Senator Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren have promised to set aside billions to improve care in rural communities along with their controversial Medicaid for All proposal. But to tell you the truth, when they began to give the price tag of doing this, the voters in America said, wait, that sounds like it's going to cost me tremendously more and I'm going to get less service. And so all of these socialist ideas for medicine really are going to, to be counterproductive to the care we get in rural areas. When we don't have access to hospitals and care, people move out of the rural areas. That's one more measure of quality of life that's simply disappearing in front of us. The United Nations recently had a climate conference. Please tell us about that. 
there was a UN climate conference in Spain this last week, and it really revealed in, in poignant fashion what this whole discussion has been about. Because since President Trump pulled us out of that Paris Accords, now then we're not there. And these third world countries were clamoring with the kind of the next tier of economies around the world saying, if the U.S. is not going to pay, then you all have to pay and you all have to pay reparations to us, the third world countries. So the climate change really has always been about collecting more taxes from the U.S. taxpayers and distributing it around the world since President Trump pulled us out of it. Now then the third world countries are just demanding that Europe and the rest of the economies that approach ours in their ability to produce taxes, they're demanding that people be charged more taxes and just pay them these payments. Forget the corruption, forget the fact that they kill the economies in their own country. They are demanding this payment. And that's what it's always been about. So we can have legitimate conversations on climate change, but never is there anyone who's willing to contradict the fact that it's all about collecting more taxes and redistributing to the poor countries around the world. It's always about the money, isn't it? As we've talked about the last few weeks, New Mexico is raking in all kinds of money from oil production. Tell us about what we have to to look forward to. Well, in our program last week, Senator Engel really talked thoroughly about the oil production and how it affects their budget in Santa Fe. And there has been some slowing down in the production from the southeast part of the state. Part of it is because rigs are moving across into Texas. They're just not willing to invest here when the governor says she's going to shut the industry down. Major oil basins around the nation are, in fact, seeing potential slowdowns. But in New Mexico, frankly, our wells are of such good quality. The oil is good quality. The quantities are great. They're much better than anywhere else. And so the Permian Basin in West Texas and southeastern New Mexico remain Remains at the forefront of the shale revolution. And so I think the Albuquerque Journal hit it right and said that we're going to remain at the center of this shale revolution because of the rich resources in the area, the low production cost, and the huge gushers that flow from wells drilled there. So the Albuquerque Journal is very, very much in favor of what they're seeing in Southeast New Mexico. They know it's good for the state, uh, but we will see. Right now, things are looking pretty stable for New Mexico because our oil economy is really strong. For folks that are listening to us right now and want to get involved with the Republican Party, how will they do that? Sure, take a look at our webpage. It's gopnm.org. You can check with us on our Twitter account at New Mexico GOP. That's the same thing for Facebook and Instagram. So join up with us. If you want to just call someone, uh, call 505-398-3662. That's 505-298-3662. Uh, we're taking volunteers daily who are coming in to help us elect Trump. Join the fight. Let's turn to Mexico red. I've been talking with the chairman of our Republican Party and former congressman for our second congressional district in New Mexico, Steve Pierce. This is Inside New Mexico, and we'll look forward to seeing you here again next week.